0: This is the official SASTA podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, and if you haven't done so yet, you can see all things behind the scenes, mostly workout sessions and mojitos on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. I really would love to see you there. However, to our guest today, and from episodes with Jonah at Moat to Howard at Yex, to Michael at Particle, the depth of talent in New York's SAS ecosystem just keeps getting richer. And that continues today as I'm thrilled to welcome Dan Reich, founder and CEO at Troops, the startup that is the ultimate bot for sales teams. Today. Dan has raised over $17 in VC funding with troops from many friends of the show, including Felicis Ventures, Founder Collective, First Round, NextView, Sousa, and even Slack. As for Dan, he's also the co-founder and president of Chula, a private equity-backed health and beauty business that's developed, check this out, the world's first line of probiotic skincare products. And before that, Dan was a co-founder of Spinback, acquired by Buddy Media in 2011, then acquired by Salesforce in June 2012. I'd also want to say a huge thank you to Michael at MParticle for the intro today. I really do so appreciate all you've done, Michael. However, before we dive into the show today with Dan, fundamentally, as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, and it helps the likes of Asana, Reddit, and Cruise to build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, even set up up goal tracking and run employee engagement surveys, and that's important because Lattice is the only solution that combines both performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure top performers are happy, and Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to SASTA listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash SASTA, that's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash SASTA, build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution, and if Lattice is there to optimise the team, my word, MixMax is there to optimise how you work. Mixmax is the startup that really enables you to be a sales pro with powerful analytics, automation, and enhancements for your outbound communications. So that's the formal description. But why do I love it? Well, you know exactly who opened your email and when. You can schedule meetings in one email with a simple calendar integration. That's a really awesome feature for me. And finally, forget copy and paste. Mixmax's email templates means you can create the perfect email with one click. So check out why I'm such a power user and head to mixmax.com for more. I have to say it really is insanely good. Finally, if Mixmax helps you really optimize email communications, Infusionsoft is there to help you create order with your customers and business. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place, and so it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and even email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That, and for many more reasons, is why over 30,000 small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft, and you can Sign up today for a 14-day free trial, and check this out. You don't even need a credit card, and that's on infusionsoft.com. That really is a must. However, you've heard quite enough of me, and so now I'm very, very excited to hand over to Dan Reich, founder and CEO at Troops.
1: Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up.
0: Dan, my word, I've heard so many great things from Michael M Particle. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Ari. It's like to be here. Well, I'd love to get started though with a little bit about you. So tell me, Dan, how did you make your entrance into the world of SaaS and really come to found troops?
1: Yeah, so I've been doing this startup thing my whole life, ever since I was young. And the last company I started, software company, was a company called Spindap. We helped online brands and retailers measure how much money they are making from social networking sites like Facebook. We ended up merging that with a company called Buddy Media, and we sold Buddy Media to Salesforce. And along the way, I've come to appreciate just how important the category of CRM is, especially being and seeing Salesforce from the inside. And that really got us thinking about building Troops. And at Troops, we are intelligently combining data from your systems to surface timely, critical information for customer facing teams so that we can make more money and grow faster. Today, we do that by bringing the most important systems like Salesforce, email and calendar information to the place where people are spending all of their time, which today is Slack.
0: Can I jump in and ask, I spoke to Sandeep before the show, and he asked a very pressing question being, given the prior entrepreneurial experiences there, are there any big takeaways from those experiences that maybe have impacted how you think about kind of your operating mentality today with Troops?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no shortage of takeaways. One takeaway I would say, at least coming off of the Buddy Media opportunity, was Facebook at the time was one of the fastest growing platforms ever and if we look at what's happening today at Slack in particular where actually they are the fastest growing business app ever and it's really the first time I think in history where we've seen a consumer-like product really invade the enterprise and my takeaway from Buddy Media was if you could see a wave like that or a platform like that that's really changing quite frankly the world and can be a part of that and help create value that's a really unique opportunity yeah no I couldn't
0: agree with you more there in terms of those pivotal platform shifts But I would love to structure the interview today with almost a top-down approach, starting on the org chart itself, then moving to a couple of different functions within it, from CS to engineers, and then finish with some of the behaviors within the company. And then also, I got so many questions from your investors, so I'd love to touch on those at the end too. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. So if we get the ball rolling on org charts, you said before that most org charts are upside down. Talk to me, Dan. What do you mean by this upside down org chart?
1: So whenever you look at an org chart, Typically, we generally think of org charts where you've got the CEO at the top and then beneath the CEO, some reports and beneath them, some reports, et cetera. In today's world, we often talk about being customer obsessed, largely thanks to Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And I generally think that's right and true. And so being customer obsessed and putting the customer first, to me, fundamentally means they are in control and dictating what you should be looking at and thinking about. And so for me, I think generally the org charts are, in fact, upset down. So visually, I think about the customer being at the top and then the CEO being all the way at the bottom, whereas the CEO's job is to serve and create leverage for the rest of the organization such that they can create the most leverage and value for their customers versus one person dictating orders to the rest of the organization. But the centrality of customer mindset that you have, is
0: there ever a thought for you in terms of Henry Ford's famous quote, if I gave the customers what they wanted, I would have made a faster horse? And how do you think about that balance between kind of being customer driven versus that internal vision and mission?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think you can certainly support both. I think it's incredibly important to be customer obsessed and listen to the feedback so long as it's done through the framework of the culture and values and beliefs that the company has. And so at Truths, for example, we fundamentally believe the category of customer relationship management to be incredibly important. It's just our belief that everybody for the past 20 years have been thinking about that medium the wrong way. And so we think that there is a much better approach to addressing the medium and pain points. It just so happens our customers aren't thinking about solving these old problems in these new ways. So it's a balance between listening and really asking why, what are the problems they have juxtaposed with the strong beliefs that we have based on where the world should go, but is not quite there yet. Yeah, absolutely. We spoke about the all chart there, though, and I'm always fascinated by one really critical
0: time in the all chart development being that additional of managers for the first time. I'm interested, how do you think about this additional layer and when's the right time to fundamentally think about and then add it?
1: Yeah, I think in the beginning of any company, I don't think anyone would disagree with this. You generally need generalists. You need people to figure it out. There's a lot of unanswered questions and you just make it up as you go along. And I think what happens is at some point you'll encounter obstacles that are very specific that you realize if you could address or tackle those obstacles, you can create a lot of leverage for for the company and for your customers. And so I think those are the moments when you realize you need to bring in another person or specialist or manager to really own and focus whatever that ops or opportunity is. And I think that theme will just continue on and on and on as the company grows. And in the early days, that's probably where the manager starts. And so that's how we think about layering on another layer within the organization.
0: Can I ask, in terms of kind of building out exec teams, you've done it now multiple times as we spoke about with of your prior entrepreneurial endeavors and now with troops what has been the biggest challenges in building out
1: the exact team for you yeah at the end of the day all you can control is who you spend your time with which is really your executive team and your whole team and so when i think about an executive team first and foremost i'm asking myself is this person i can be excited about working with do they share my values and do they share the mission and vision that's step one and only after you feel good about the softer elements then can you get into the harder skills when it comes to higher skills, I often think about who can complement me and who can I complement. But if I hire an executive that is a replica of me, I'm not doing myself any good because we just have two of the same. I always look for who are people that complement me incredibly well because that is really how you create a great team when you have diversity, different perspectives, healthy debate, healthy tension to arrive at ultimately the best answers for our customers.
0: I always get a lot of founders ask me, should I bring in that exceptional individual from LinkedIn or Salesforce or name your brand name company. I'm interested, how do you think about this kind of requirement in the early days to have this kind of logo branded individual versus maybe an up and comer, a jack of all trades who's transitioning to a generalist? How do you think of that logo
1: hire in the early days? Yeah, it's a funny question. It reminds me of my last company, Spinback. When we were raising money, you know, we were in our mid-20s. We had never really built a SaaS company before. You know, we didn't have big customers. When we were trying to raise money, we got a lot of no's. And one of the pieces of feedback we Got was, you guys are too young. You've never done this before. And you need an executive like X from PayPal that has done this before. And so we actually found that person. We flew that person out from California to meet with us. So we interviewed them because we felt like, man, we really do need that person. And what ended up happening was after meeting with him and getting dinner with him, he said to us, he's like, look, you guys don't need me. You've figured this out. You know what you're doing. And I'm in fact going to tell the investor that they don't need me. And that was really enlightening for me at the time because I realized we could punch above our weight class and we could figure it out. And I think at the core of this entrepreneurship game, it is all about figuring it out and doing what hasn't been done before. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need a seasoned veteran in any respective role to help you get there. Could they help you get there? Sure. There's no question. But not all cases is a requirement.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more in in not being so binary about that kind of requirement. I do want to delve one layer deeper into this all chart that we've now completely reconfigured. And I want to discuss some of the functions within it, starting with CS. And when we chatted before, you said that they must be obsessed with asking why. Maybe taking a step back, all founders asked me, Harry, when's the right time to hire your first CS rep? In your mind, what is that time that's right to hire the first CS rep?
1: Yeah, so for us, customer success, at the end of the day, is you want to make the customer successful, right? That's why it is that title. And so what does that mean? And it means managing the relationship, helping them with their problems, helping them with the product. Historically, I've seen many customer success roles where you just throw a body at an account to make the customer happy, which is mostly through the relationships. You know, you go out for drinks, you send them swag, you send them birthday cards. But I feel like in the early days, that's doing yourself a disservice because in the early days, when the customer has issues or problems, it's one thing to surface level address them. But if you're not asking, why and really getting to the core of the problem and really peeling back the onion, you're not really understanding the problems. And if you don't really understand the problems, you can't fix them from a product perspective. And if you can't fix them from a product perspective, you're going to be in this perpetual state of throwing bodies against problems customers have without actually solving the underlying root causes with technology, which is why we're in business. We think technology is how we can support a lot of issues. And unless you understand those core issues, you're never going to be able to scale and you're never going to be able to really solve the customer pain points.
0: Can I ask, do you find customers really amenable to spend the time discussing product, discussing how it can be improved and iterated on and is there anything you can do to kind of engender that relationship where they almost feel mutually involved
1: and keen to help with the iteration? Absolutely. I think for us, we think about it less through the lens of will the customer give us feedback on the product, but we think about it through the lens of how can we help the customer? achieve their business outcomes goals and objectives it just so happens that our product enables or facilitates those goals and objectives When we have the conversations with customers yeah sure we ask them questions about our product but what we're really doing is going that next level and asking them about how they do their job what are the, the blockers and pain points that they have day to day for them achieving their goals and outcomes and that is the insight that we're always looking for because that's the core ingredient for how we think about what solutions services that we build.
0: No, absolutely. I love that kind of flipping on its head and asking them about their processes. I am really interested and probably one of the many reasons I'm still single, but in post-mortem analysis on churn and how CS conduct that, how do you think the best companies and CS teams conduct post-mortem analysis on churn? And how do you really think about optimizing
1: that feedback process? Yeah, whenever a customer churn, to me, it's ultimately because they hired you to do a job and you didn't do that job. There's certainly other factors at play. But I think that's really the core. And so when we think about the post war analysis, we'll look at things like, did the value we create align with what they were paying us? Were they using the product? Were they not using the product? And really just begin to look at the quantitative and qualitative data product metrics. And if we can, we'll also try to have a conversation with the customer as well. And because what we just talked about, because we've invested typically a good amount of time really trying to help the customer and their pain points, more often than not, they're more willing to give us feedback feedback. You know, the good news at Troops right now is we have very little to note churn given a lot of these ingredients. But in the past, that's how we thought about churn. Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: I mean, you said about speaking to customers there, and that's obviously very normal in the land of customer success and some functions of the business, but it's not always so attributable to the engineering function in terms of speaking to customers. But you told me before that engineers need to get on calls with customers. Why is this, Dan? And what are the benefits to employing this incredibly expensive resource today on maybe an area that others normally do.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a saying that something like people don't remember what they heard, but they remember what they felt. And I could have 40 customer calls today and relay the information back to the team, but it's very different from listening firsthand to the customer on a call, listening to their emotion, listening to their tonality. And what ends up happening is I could send you a piece of feedback, or you could get that same feedback from the customer. If you hear it from them, it is much more likely that that emotion and that feedback will be codified in your feeling and will empower you and encourage you to actually go execute against it. And so what we're seeing now is our engineers listening to these customer calls have a greater sense of urgency and empathy for what the customers are going through, which permeates all the way into product development, problem solving, our sprints. And that is hugely valuable, especially as a customer obsessed and driven organization.
0: Okay. So great benefits to engineers engaging in this way. But consequence step, for founders looking to kind of employ this strategy, how much time should one allocate their engineers in talking with
1: customers, starting with that? Yeah, so we don't expect our engineers to get on every single customer call. So what we do is we have a rotational program where every week, two or three engineers will hop on uh, one or two calls, and they'll distill those calls down into three takeaways and share them and replay them back with the whole team. And what ends up happening is not only do they have to send size and think critically through the customer lens, but in sharing the takeaways, they are also surfacing ideas, things we can be building, solutions we can be bringing back to the customer, and that's really exciting. So rotational program, several a week, not every single customer call, that seems to be working pretty well.
0: And then the subsequent question as well, I've spoken to many engineers who maybe aren't always that keen to do so. How do you encourage engineers to not see this as maybe a chore or an obligation, but really a net positive for them and the business? Is there kind of a way to incentivize them and excite them on this mission?
1: I think so. I think anytime you have a feeling of greater autonomy and play and purpose in your work, uh, you're more excited. And when the engineers can get on the calls with customers and they could hear firsthand what the problems are, all of a sudden, they now have a mindset of a problem solving. It's not just order taking. Here, You know, it's not just us telling them, here's what we heard, here's what we need to do. They have that direct line of communication. They can hear the problems firsthand. And I'm an engineer. My first perspective is to try to fix things, uh, same as our engineering team. And so when they can hear the problems firsthand, it has a much higher propensity to begin to think about problem solving versus order taking when we're just playing a game of telephone, relaying what the customers are saying. You
0: mentioned the word fix things there. Often kind of in more human relationships, the dominant way in, in the business world to fix things is kind of through one on ones for resolving that discontent. But I know you believe that one on ones should be taken out of the office. Can I ask Dan, why do you think it's key to take them out of the office and does this maybe not further fragment an organization
1: yeah I believe that your setting your physical space has a huge impact on the type of work that you're doing so you know for example when I was in school I would find my most productive work in the library why it was quiet it was isolated I was able to get heads down and do my work that library would not be conducive to a group meeting you would get kicked out of the library so I think setting has a large role in type of work you're trying to do when it comes to one on one The purpose of one-on-ones for us is not really to accomplish anything specific per se. It's more about connecting with the team, hearing about what they're working on, what are their priorities, what's on their mind, acting as a sounding board. And for me, things like taking a walk or just switching up the setting plays a huge role than just going into a conference room or a box and sitting down in a very formal setting where it might feel rigid and repetitive and routine. I actually think switching up the setting psychologically creates a much better forum to have those one-on-one conversations. And, you know, we don't do it every single time, but more often than not, I think it's incredibly helpful. Can I ask, with your focus on the setting there and kind of the importance of your surroundings,
0: a lot of founders ask me, Harry, a lot of my employees maybe want to work from home on a certain day of the week. How should I think about that? How do you think about that, given kind of the appreciation of setting really playing a role in how one works effectively? Yeah, you know, after
1: the Buddy Media Salesforce experience for a year, I worked, I had my own office and, you know, 60th in Madison, and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And it was lonely, you know, I could get a lot of work done, but I was by myself. And at the end of the day, we spend most of our lives sleeping, probably a third sleeping, probably a third, if not more working, and maybe a third other watching TV or whatever. And so if I'm going to spend that much time working, I want to be motivated. I want to be energized. I want to have fun. And for me, it all comes back to the people. And so do distributed teams and working from home, does that work? Absolutely absolutely but for me i get a source of energy in working with amazing people and the best place to do that is is in an office where you're all together especially in the early days when you're trying to figure it out and problem solve and just walk up to a whiteboard and talk through issues or talk through ideas Uh, that's what that's what makes it fun and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning i couldn't agree with you more in terms of that
0: kind of open mind sharing and that kind of energy that drives through a team i do want to finish before we move into the quickfire there with some fantastic questions from rob go one of your investors at you and from Sundeep at Felicis, that you have this unique ability, in the words of Rob Go, to dance with the giants. You did it with Buddy Media, now doing it with Slack and Salesforce. So tell me, how do you identify opportunities like this, maybe earlier than anyone
1: else? Yeah, so I'm not sure that I identify them earlier than anyone else. But for me, it's all about trying to understand where's the puck going. And an easy way to do that is to just look at what are the bigger companies or the best or bestest growing companies, what are they doing and what are they not doing? And so when we were building Buddy Media or even Spinback, the things that Buddy Media wasn't doing or Facebook wasn't doing, I uh, was a focus on the ROI story. How does this ultimately help my business? For Troops, same is true of Slack. They're providing an incredible medium for people at work. But what they're not doing is really up-leveling that medium for customer-facing teams, which we think is a unique opportunity. And so I think it's just creating value. And if you could convey that value in a meaningful way to those partners, it's a very easy conversation to have. Can I ask, because it, it seems easy to have, but many fail at it.
0: So can I ask, how does that conversation look? And why do you think you've maybe been successful multiple times where many others haven't with those conversations?
1: Yeah, when it comes to bigger companies, I think one thing that you have to keep in mind is they're bigger, there's more people, and there's also more politics at play. And you have to really understand those politics. Before Star Troops, I started another company, a health and beauty company called Tula, which will say. That for a podcast on your consumer podcast. But we partnered early on with a company called QVC, which is one of the largest retailers in the world. And I quite literally mapped out and drew out their org chart. It looked like a crime scene board. And that was important because I needed to understand who all the players were, who is the decision maker, who is our champion, who are the gatekeepers, who are the buyers, who did I need approval from? And in doing that exercise, you end up just figuring out how to navigate the politics. And not only do you figure out how to navigate the politics you ultimately become a resource for that partner in helping them navigate their own politics. So in that example, we ended up having a conversation and meeting with the CEO, and I shared that story with him, and he made a joking comment like, oh, can I get a copy of that org chart? And I think his point was, at that size, it is very complicated. And so when you can become a partner and resource to that bigger partner and help them navigate the politics and help them achieve their goals because you are a nimble startup, that's a one plus one equals three scenario. And that seems to have worked pretty well for me so far. I mean, I love the mapping out of the org chart
0: there. But say we map out the org chart and we now know where all the decision makers are, where all the gatekeepers are. The other question that founders always ask me is, how do I simply get my foot in the door of one of these mega enterprise buyers in the sea of startups that today is vying for their attention? How do you think about kind of translating the thinking on org chart design and kind of knowing the decision makers to really getting in the room with them? And what's key to that? Yeah, I think it's
1: it's all about the priorities, right? You can have an amazing product, an amazing solution that has absolutely nothing to do with that company's priorities. And if that's the case, they're not going to spend their time speaking with you. So if you can really understand what they're focused on, it makes it much easier to get that conversation. And guess what? The good news is for a lot of these larger companies, you know what the priorities are. And the reasons you know them are because they come up on their shareholder meetings. They come up in press releases that they're spewing out every few weeks. It's public information because inherently they're public companies. uh, And you can use that to your advantage. And it's right there in front of all of us. Can I ask, if they're
0: priorities, is it not pretty unlikely, though, that then they're not working on them actively internally?
1: It could be that they are and most likely are working on them internally. But as you and I know, larger companies typically move a lot slower. And even if they are moving, sometimes it's either moving way too slow or, or not moving at all. And so I think that is the opportunity because startups can move fast. They are nimble. And if you can demonstrate that you can help them get to that goal or objective faster, cheaper, quicker than they could on their own, that's a very compelling conversation to have. And I think you'd be surprised that many of those large organizations would be very willing and open to have that conversation and entertain it. No, for sure.
0: Faster, quicker, cheaper is always a winning combination. But I do want to move into a quick fire round, Dan. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. About 60 seconds per one. Are you ready to roll? Let's do it. So what motto or quote do you most frequently revert back to? I'm
1: a hip-hop guy. Nas is one of my favorite artists. He's got a quote. Turning nothing into something is God work, and you get nothing without struggle and hard work. To me, I love that because I just love taking ideas and making them reality. But they're hard. It's not easy, and so you just got to have fun along the way. I know you love stories of hustle. What's your favorite hustle story and why? Probably my grandfather. He is a Holocaust survivor. Came here with little to nothing. Started a chicken farm, and every day, he would drive from Southern... New Jersey, two hours to New York City and back seven days a week delivering eggs and he really built the foundation for my family and I was giving me an opportunity to do what I'm doing.
0: Tell me a moment in your life Dan that's really served as an inflection point and changed the way you think.
1: My first job in high school I was building computers, servers, networks and I was fortunate to be able to go to these Intel channel conferences and so when I was only 13, 14 I was having conversations with folks much older than me. In the Grand world of technology and I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I can do this. I'm having similar conversations with them on their level and that was the first time I remember thinking that really anything was possible and that was really exciting to me and I think helped set me on my entrepreneurial track. Who do you think is crushing it in the world of SaaS today and why? Slack. They're the fastest growing business application I think ever and I think the reason is they've been able to bring very pervasive behaviors that we see in the consumer world messaging and orient them in a way that really enables people to do work better. And there's no signs of them slowing either. So I think they're crushing it. I don't see any signs of, of them slowing either.
0: And then I want to finish with what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning? Now, you've got a couple of options. This could be the beginning of Troops. It could be the beginning of your time with your first entrepreneur. It could be the beginning of your
1: time when it with Buddy Media. But at the beginning of dot,
0: dot, dot.
1: Just start. You know, you'll never have all the answers. But with scarier than not knowing i think is having a regret you know what's scary is waking up 10 20 30 40 50 years from now looking back and thinking woulda coulda shoulda so i wish if i could give advice to my younger self i would have started this this whole thing earlier and just figured it out along the way because that's what i'm still doing right now and i'm having a ton of fun doing it dan i couldn't be more excited for the times
0: ahead with troops so many exciting milestones to come but thank you so much for joining me and it's been so
1: much fun thanks harry likewise
0: I mean, what a fantastic guest to have on the show, and I have to say, I am actually a huge fanboy of the Troops product, and if you'd like to see more from Dan, you can find him on Twitter, at Dan Reich. Likewise, I want to say again a huge thank you to Michael at MParticle. I really do so appreciate the intro there, my friend. And if you want to see more from us behind the scenes, you can on Instagram, at hstebbings 1996 with two Bs. I'd love to see you there. But before we leave you today, fundamentally, as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and... building a high-performing culture, and that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, and it helps the likes of Asana, Reddit, and Cruise to build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, even set up goal tracking and run employee engagement surveys. And that's important, because Lattice is the only solution that combines both performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure top performers are happy, and Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners, just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E.com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. And if Lattice is there to optimize the team, my word, Mixmax is there to optimize how you work. Mixmax is the startup that really enables you to be a sales pro with powerful analytics, automation, and enhancements for your outbound communications. So that's the formal description. But why do I love it? Well, you know exactly who opened your email and when. You can schedule meetings in one email with a simple calendar integration. That's a really awesome feature for me. And finally, forget copy and paste. Mixmax's email templates means you can create the perfect email with one click. So check out why I'm such a power user and head to mixmax.com for more. I have to say, it really is insanely good. Finally, if Mixmax helps you really optimize email communications, Infusionsoft is there to help you create order with your customers and business. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place. And so it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and even email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That, and for many more reasons, is why over 30,000 small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft. And you can sign up today for a 14 day free trial, and check this out, you don't even need a credit card, and that's on Infusionsoft.com. That really is a must. As always, your support means so much to me, and I cannot wait to bring you a very special episode with Claire hughes Johnson. COO at Stripe next week.